I wish more women knew that if they showed up, especially with other women, that they really have a whole lot of power right now to shape the future of what competitive cycling looks like for women, particularly in the United States. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey, what's up, Joyriders? This is Kat, and you are listening to episode lucky number 13 of the Joyride podcast. Um, Podcast celebrating women who ride bikes. And I am super excited to finally be back with you. Uh, It's been sort of a much longer hiatus than I thought it was going to be. Turns out um, getting married takes a lot of your time and attention. And um, I really had like the best intentions of being able to uh, go ahead and batch up everything beforehand and do all of this stuff beforehand and just have stuff roll out every week um, during and after the wedding. And uh, yeah, that totally did not happen. So here we are. It's like I woke up and it was mid-June and uh, and I've got this uh, amazing podcast in my pocket from Elizabeth Reincourt, who I'm so excited to introduce to you today if you're not already familiar with her. Um, before we get started with that, though, in other women's cycling news, something that's really cool that just happened a couple days ago um, is that Lael Wilcox totally beat everybody in the Trans Am bike race. Now, if you don't know what this is, the Trans Am bike race is a race across America. It is a self-supported ride. Uh, racers start in Astoria, Oregon, and they ride over 4,200 miles to Yorktown, Virginia. And Leah Wilcox didn't just beat the women. She beat the dudes, too. She came uh, in first. She landed at the Victory Monument, or whatever that thing is called, in Yorktown, Virginia, first. And uh, she beat her nearest competitor by two hours. Uh, There were only nine women in the field of 66 riders, and uh, she came in number one. Lael's number one. Yay. Uh, She tells this funny story. This is as reported by... um, Total Women's Cycling, and there's this funny little video where she's recounting this story. I'll link it up in the show notes. Uh, But she tells the story where the she was like basically running behind uh, this this other guy, uh, Stefan or Stefan, and uh, he at one point she had made a wrong turn, and they were like neck and neck, and she made a wrong turn, and he waited for her to come back, and um, and he said, "Hey, we've been battling for two weeks." let's finish this together. And she said, no, and it's, it's a race. And and he said, but you're losing. And she said, no. (laughs) Um, you know, what I think is really like amazing about this, it, it goes right into this conversation that I have with Elizabeth on this show. Uh, and it's a long one. So, you know, get yourself some trail mix or cue it up before you go out for a ride, uh, or before you get on the trainer or whatever it, wherever it is that you're listening to this, um, which I'd love to know. I'd love to know what you're doing when you listen to this. And, um, you know, you can tweet at me, uh, and that's, I think everything's at Girl Eats Bike. Um, you can tweet at me, send me a photo of whatever you're doing on Instagram. 
uh, tag me and stuff. I just, I'm super curious as to what people are doing when they download and they listen to this. Um, but it, it like really feeds in really well, like this sense of, um, competition and, you know, Elizabeth says something in the first few minutes of this recording and in my conversation with her, she talks about that there are very few places where it is socially appropriate for adult women to be competitive. And, um, I think that this sort of like really just dovetails with, uh, this video that we, where we hear from Lael, where she talks about like, no, this is a race. Like, like, no, this is, you know, this is like her opportunity. And, and this woman is like, she's a total rock star. She has, uh, really, she's no stranger to this competitive stuff or to bike packing and the self-supported race in 2015. She won the women's field for the tour divide, which is a amazing. I mean, like, I don't even know how do you, how do you put words on certain things? Um, it's a bike race, basically self-supported bike packing from the border of Canada to the border of Mexico along the great divide. So going down through the Rockies and through that whole mountainous spine of the country, right through the center there. Um, great film called ride the divide. I think it's available for free online. And if it is, I'll, I'll link that up as well, uh, to give you kind of a sense of just how hardcore some of these folks are. So, um, it just a little bit of, uh, women's cycling news We're we're totally celebrating you, Leo Wilcox. Good job. Uh, I don't know, um, about anyone else, but my social media has been blowing up with it. So I certainly would be remiss to not uh, mention it because it's just been fantastic. And, uh, we, I celebrate women, celebrate women who ride bikes, celebrate women who are kicking butt. And, uh, you know, the, the nature of this podcast is to celebrate all kinds of women who ride bikes in all kinds of different situations. So you don't have to be like a racer. You don't have to be this extreme bike packer. You don't have to be, um, anything except for who you are. And, um, I just hope that some of this, and Lael's story, check, definitely check out some of the stuff in the show notes, um, because we've got really rich show notes today with all the, the stuff that Elizabeth talks about. I just hope some of it serves as, as some inspiration. Um, well, without further ado, uh, I really want to get into it because it is a long conversation today, and uh, we all got stuff to do. We got places to go. I respect your time and your attention and your energy. Um, so I'm super excited, and uh, here we go. I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Reincourt. Check it out. Oh yeah, one last thing. Um, the show notes. You can find the show notes and uh, any of the backlist at Girl Eats Bike. That's not true about the backlist. I don't know why I said it. It's because there's a podcast I listen to where she says that and that just came out of my mouth. Um, maybe I should come up with uh, the, the backlist somewhere. We'll figure it out. Anywho, uh, show notes for this particular episode you will find at Girl Eats Bike, which is the name of my blog, girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride013. Lucky number 13. So excited to be back and chatting with you. Uh, gonna be super focused on trying to produce these consistently again. Um, and, uh, be kind to myself if I can't, but, uh, but hit me up. Let me know what you're doing, what you like, what you don't like, um, what you are doing when you listen to this 
and um, definitely follow along at home at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride013. Yeah, let's get into it. Elizabeth Reincourt, welcome to the Joyride. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm, so excited to be here. I am so excited that you are here. It's nice to meet you. And uh, it's nice to chat about bikes. And uh, you're into the, you're doing the racing thing. I do. Um, I've kind of actually, like, I got into bike racing on a dare. Um, in 2009, I was, uh, I had been a bike commuter. I'd done a little bit of like long distance sort of SAG supported bike touring and that kind of thing. And I, uh, went to, and I'd done a couple alley cats. Um, and, but then like that fall, I went to a cyclocross race. Um, the guy I was dating at the time was doing the cyclocross race and like, he was just doing it for the first time. Like all of this like sort of hipster fixie crowd was all getting into it. Um, and we're like, okay. And so I being a smart lady had looked up some videos on the internet about cyclocross. I'm like, this is insane. I'm totally not doing that. That looks very hard and I am completely unprepared. So I go to the race and um, there's this really amazing woman there. Her name is, uh, Sydney Brown. So she had been, um, like a national time trial champion. She'd been on a national road team, like super legit woman. And, uh, she comes up to my friend, Melissa and I, and she's like, Oh, you ladies just hanging out watching the race today. And we're like, yeah, you know, she's like, well, you should come back and race tomorrow. Like, come on, let's do a lap around the course. Are those your bikes parked over by the tree? And like Melissa and I had ridden, our fixed gear street bikes to this cross race. And she's like, Oh, it'll be fine. You know, just come with me, do a lap. So, uh, we do a lap of the course and it seems like actually kind of reasonable. And then, um, we go back the next day, not wanting to disappoint Sydney though. In the meantime, we'd both realized that this was totally crazy. Um, and so I show up the next day and sure enough, I did this cyclocross race on a fixed gear with slicks and road gearing. And it was, it was so dumb. And like halfway through the race, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing. Like, this is so dangerous and so painful. And like, I just want Like I want a, a, a horrible catastrophic mechanical failure so that I don't have to do this anymore. And just at about the time I'm doing that, I see Sydney's like 60 something year old mom who is also racing and I'm like, okay, come on, like put on your big girl panties. Like you can do this. You can finish this race. And so I finished and then I, I caught the bug. So I've been racing ever since. Um, and then in the last two years have transitioned a little bit. Like I still race some, but I also have been um, really finding a lot of joy in coaching and teaching um, beginner women how to get into bike racing. Um, and that's something that you now Sydney on a dare got me into it and then totally mentored me as I was becoming a bike racer and sort of developing this identity as a female athlete, which is something that I never had had until my late twenties. I had never conceived of myself as an athlete. Um, and so now I'm finding that I really enjoy it. Like I have a background in education and I'm really finding I enjoy teaching um, and get a lot more gratification out of seeing beginner women try this and like get into this sport and begin to see themselves as athletes as competitive and um that's kind of it's really cool and so I'm enjoying that as much if not more than my own racing goals right now so I I guess I'm kind of in a transition year you could say so we'll see there's a 
mountain bike race on Saturday that might get rained out. And I can honestly say I won't mind if it gets rained out. <laughs> so tell me, um, let's see, where do I want to go with that? Sorry, that was a long answer. No, no, no. It's great. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about like, what is that like to witness that transformation with women who are maybe have not seen themselves as athletes some maybe some of them have, um, but are new to that world. So what's it like to sort of host that transformation? So it's really, really amazing. It's been, um, it's awesome to watch this sort of empowerment grow. Um, so for the last two years now, I've been, I'm like the co founder and uh, one of the two head coaches for um, Women Bike PHL, which is Philadelphia. So I'm in Philadelphia, Women Bike PHL Devo, which is our development uh, women's racing program. So we do a six week intensive coached, mentored program for women to get into road racing. So um, they're picked as a team. They work as a cohort. Um, we have like coach practices twice a week. Um, with skill sessions and drills and all that kind of stuff. And they come into it. um, So last year was our pilot year and we had seven ladies uh, that did it this year, sort of our 2.0. We opened up an application. We had 72 women apply. Um, We were going to take eight. We ended up taking 16 because we were completely overwhelmed. And now like this application included an explicit commitment to do three weekends of road racing. And so this is like, there's this big thing I'm trying to combat um, or Michelle Lee and I are the co-founders of this. We're trying to combat. There's this idea that like, well, women just aren't interested in racing. Like women don't want to be competitive. And so oftentimes like bike race promoters won't have a women's field or they're just combine everything into a women's open field. And we looked at this and we said, okay, there are 72 women who signed up for something that was a six week commitment to get up at 6:45, well, to be at practice at 6:45 on every Tuesday morning, to ride every Saturday together, to do a full weekend team camp and to do three weekends of racing. Like, come on. There is there's definitely a demand. So anyway, that's my soapbox. I have lots of them. Um, but So in this transformation um, that we saw, like there were definitely women who applied who I think were like, oh yeah, three weekends of racing and hadn't really thought through, like I'm going to be pinning on a number and racing my bike. Um, And others who were definitely ready for it from the outset, who had maybe been on the sidelines at races, you know, with boyfriends or husbands or just friends, um, had been on the sidelines and never crossed the tape as it were to be on the course and thought maybe I could do that. Um, some of them had been athletes, uh, in college maybe, or even in high school. Um, and I'd say maybe like a third of them had some sort of athletic background. So we had a couple rowers, we had a couple runners, um, but there were a lot of women and, uh, you know, I was myself kind of fell into the same category. I had never really been an athlete. Like I had sort of played volleyball in junior high, but not ever at a competitive level. And, um, and then, you know, I had my competitive impulses were all channeled into being on like the debate team. Um, so it was, so I had that competitive urge and I think, um, what is interesting is that there are oftentimes there aren't a lot of sort of culturally appropriate ways for women to be competitive as adults. Um, and you know, it's, it's often scorned or it's seen as this negative thing. Like it turns into rather than, 
competitive meaning good, it gets spun into cattiness and it gets spun into like, you know, to be honest, like stupid sort of tropes about like, well, but women are just competitive over men or something really dumb like that. Um, and so there aren't a lot of outlets for like you to be, and you know, in the workplace too, there are all of these things where it's like, it's scolded or frowned upon for women to be seen as competitive. So here's this environment where the whole point is being competitive and you're signing up and you can do that and it's okay. And it's encouraged and you can spend 45 minutes in a criterium or 45 minutes or an hour in a road race where like, that's the point you're working with teammates, but you're also competing. Like you're competing against others. You're pushing yourself. And I think watching women in this program sort of have the permission to push themselves um, to like a really, like in some ways, like a really uncomfortable place, um, physically uncomfortable, but also seeing this switch, this sort of mental switch where you see these like ladies that are like, I'm, I'm totally nice. Like, I just want to go ride a bike with my friends. And then, and they do that. And then there's this part where like, and there was, I, I don't know, one woman in particular after, you know, she was totally like, she's a total team player and has all this like leadership friendly. She's got a teaching background and she goes out to her first like longer road race and surprised the heck out of herself by being right up there with the pack. And you could hear this change in her voice afterwards. You know, she knew what she was doing and she had had permission to do that. Um, so I think that's really, really cool. And this idea that you could sort of see yourself uh, emerge in a way that maybe you had never been encouraged. And I think, so I'm, I'm starting to formulate, I might be, I'm, I think I'm developing like writing a book about this. Um, but there's, you know, it's like, how are these things connected to, you know, the advent of Title IX and, you know, sports being something that women and girls were allowed to do. And I think, you know, a lot of women who are now in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, like mid 30s had the benefit of Title IX in schools, but it wasn't fully formed yet. Um, even as they were kids, like it wasn't fully formed yet. And it's definitely not formed all the way to the pipeline for adulthood, but you're seeing some movements emerge where you have, you know, for example, the roller derby is another example of this outlet for women to be competitive athletes as adults. Um, and I think, you know, there are pockets and niches everywhere. It'd be super interesting, I think, to find all of those places, but, uh, I'm just really impressed by it. And I think it's something that, is, you know, it's, it's, it's different from, uh, a marathon too, like where you sign up and everybody's doing it and you have your personal best and, and all that kind of thing. And I think there's definitely a place for that. And that's, it's great. And I love seeing, you know, like I'm focusing right now on, on specifically racing as a means to this empowerment, but in my own bike team, um, I also have like, we, we don't emphasize racing. Like we emphasize access and community building and riding with other women and creating spaces for women to ride together and personal challenge is totally part of that. But I think it's really interesting to also, you know, not forget that there is this other outlet and this other way of, of viewing it. And if we build pipelines into it and make it something that's, um, more accessible to women to enter into like it's going to flourish and i'm really excited about that that sounds so awesome and it's it's really interesting to me to hear you describe it that way because 
you're you're right. I mean, we're just discouraged from girlhood to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just is, and we see some of the ways that um, you see this kind of now with like the the women's national soccer team. We you know we're starting to see this shift to where actually this is acceptable and it is something that really develops our character. Um, and I think that that's always been true, but uh, honing in and, and giving a channel and an outlet for that competitiveness, because I think that drive is is kind of always there. And perhaps um, it gets channeled into cattiness because there is no other outlet for it. Exactly. Like there's just nowhere for it to go. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I I'd, um, certainly had never thought about it from from that point of view. Um and I love that permission to push themselves. Um, I think we see it a little bit too in like the, the way that the CrossFit world is, has sort of, has sort of blossomed, you know, there's like the idea of the personal best, but then there's also this team aspect to it. So there's so many places I want to go with this. Um, I want to ask you about team laser cats because I want to see how many times we can possibly say team laser cats during a podcast because (laughs) what a fantastic name. Um, So I want to ask you about that. And I I want to like, what age ranges of of women are you working with there? Sure. So um, first off, um, team laser cats uh, is a group of, uh, we're 12 women uh, in Philadelphia, we have one woman who's actually in central Pennsylvania. Um, but the rest of us are in, in Philly. Um, and our age range is from early twenties into mid to late thirties. Um, and we formed just over a year ago. Um, it was basically, there were a few women who had all come from another team um, and a few who didn't have teams, maybe had been out of the racing game for a while. I had actually just moved to Philadelphia not that long before. uh, And so there was a woman named Melissa Tavis who uh, had this idea. She's like, I, you know, she likes cats and she made, she's an artist. And so she decided to make this kit and it was laser cats. And, uh, then she sort of just reached out to a few ladies that she knew and she's like, Hey, so I'm thinking about starting this bike team based mostly around wearing like ridiculous kits and like being called the laser cats feline all-stars. Um, are you interested? And so we had like a potluck at my house and we had a few other meetings sort of like figuring out what we were about and, um, based on sort of those early meetings, like we decided, you know, definitely wanted to play up the emphasis on fun, um, with a name like laser cats, we obviously take ourselves extraordinarily seriously. Um, but that was, yeah. So this idea is sort of this like tongue in cheek. So fun was emphasized. We all agreed very early on that snacks were very important to all of us. Um, and we have like a vegan chef. Uh, who works at one of the best vegan restaurants in Philadelphia um, is on the team. She works at V street. She's the cook there and a lot of interest around that. Um, And we wanted to also, as we, you know, we brought a few, there were sort of a core group of six of us. And then we brought a few other people into it um, throughout the first year and really wanted to emphasize being ambassadors for women's cycling in the community. Um, 
there wasn't at that time really a very active all women's team in the city. Um, there were a lot of teams that had a women's team as part of the bigger team, but um, we were kind of feeling a trend that, you know, we had sort of sister squads um, in uh, Coachella and Minneapolis are some friends of ours. Um, and then now there have been a few others. Um, I was involved in co-founding Chiclismo um, when I was living in Nebraska. And so there are kind of this idea of, you know, making a space that was specifically for women. Um, and in our case, wanted to have this balance where it's like we're having fun with our bikes. We're being ambassadors for women and cycling in the city of Philadelphia. Um, but we're also, you know, racing was always encouraged, but never mandatory is kind of our tagline. Um, so we have some women on the team who race quite a lot, um, some at pretty high levels, um, and others who maybe will jump into a race sometimes, but also find, you know, that that's maybe not their priority. And so we wanted to make sure that that it was a space that was welcoming for that. Um, and that encouraged that in a lot of ways. Um, and then obviously wearing bright ridiculous kits um our current team kit has a cat in a donut on a rainbow stripe background with the universe and more donuts on the shorts and the sleeves um so there's that I and mean, then really though that's I mean, amazing it's pretty great so it's really fun to show up to like a cyclocross race and i feel like you know the fruit stripe gum was a really popular thing for a like, while yeah or- stripes yeah, so yeah. so our kits kind of like we have these skin suits that look like fruit stripe gum, but then they have a donut with a cat in it on them. So rolling up to the start line of a race wearing that, um, it's just amazing. Like it's just like you're immediately sort of cut the tension of it. And I think like that was something that we all feel pretty strongly about is like you can go out and be fierce as hell on that race course. Like once the the whistle blows, like you're fierce as hell, but you're having fun. And, um, and showing that like these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Like you don't have to like train all the time and be super serious and take yourself so seriously and get so focused in it, um, in order to race and be competitive. Uh, you don't have to give up that it can be fun and, you know, totally all respect in the world to the people who do take it really seriously. Um, but we wanted to essentially carve out a space where, you know, all of us are, working professionals in one capacity or another. Um, and, you know, a couple who work in the bike industry, some artists, some chefs, some, you know, a a whole range of stuff. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, that was, that's something too, is like, you know, we're balancing life and bikes and, uh, yeah. So, so that's what team laser cats is all about. Um, and we do, monthly open rides for women in the community in Philadelphia. A lot of them are off road. So we'll do um, like cyclocross exploration rides. We'll do mountain bike rides. Um, We'll do road rides. Um, This month we've invited the women in Philly to join us on our weekly rides. So we have, you know, we jump into weekly events that are happening. And so we've said like, these are our regular laser cats attendees at this ride. So come hang out with us there. Um, We also, it's pretty exciting. We partnered with a bike shop called uh, Bike Therapy here in Philadelphia um, to have a fleet of bikes that are uh, demo bikes that are available for free to women in the community to check out to come on rides with us. Um, So there are two road bikes, 
there are three cyclocross bikes and there are two mountain bikes um, in small sizes because we know those are often harder for there are more women who are small like the average height is five foot five so it's often hard to find a demo bike at a shop or find a bike to borrow um, so one of my teammates Sophia started this project called the the Rocky CX bike so we're in Philly obviously the Rocky movies you know pretty important sports touchstone for the city so the rocky bike um was just a loner cyclocross bike that was available for anybody to use last fall and so then based on that now we've expanded so we have this whole rocky fleet so we have rocky road rocky cx and rocky mountain um so they're bikes that any any women can check out and take on a ride so it's awesome because it means that we can invite somebody say like yeah come out come out and ride mountain bike trails with us um we're doing this group ride and if you don't have a bike it's cool like we have to check one out and come ride with us so it's been really awesome to be able to provide that opportunity to the city so that was the first question you asked i think you asked something else and i forget what it well was. i was asking about the, the age ranges um yeah. because i you know i was just curious about that but i mean i i just want to say that that's so I mean, it's, it's awesome. Is that, is that it? Is that yeah. all I can say about it's it? Like, awesome. it's just really fantastic. Um, because I think we really do take ourselves so seriously sometimes. And, um, I mean, girl, I can't even tell you, I, I'm, I won't, I can't even go down that crazy road. Um, but yeah, we definitely take ourselves so seriously. And the first thing about the bike in general is just how much fun it is. Like, I was just talking about this. Um, it's like, yes, it's great for the community. Yes, it's great for your physical health. Yes, it's great for your mental health. Yes, it's great for the environment. But like that first feeling of riding a bike when you're a kid is like fun and joy and happiness. And um, I mean, come on, the cats uh, in donuts on, on top of the universe and like <laughs> crazy yike stripes. It just... Yeah. Um, and so, and also like kudos for the access. Um, I think the other piece of it is that like, yeah, a lot of women want to try on riding bikes, but can't necessarily find a shop where you walk in and you're not super intimidated off the bat. Um, you know, just having a welcoming group of women who have a fleet of bikes that you can try on. Yeah, that's it's great. I mean, we're so excited about it. You know, the other thing that's nice, like in the time since we officially partnered with Bike Therapy, which was just a couple of months ago, um, they now have four women who are working there on a regular basis, and two of them are behind the counter wrenching. Um, and so, you know, we also feel really good about the fact that when women are going into that shop to check out a bike, I can, I think, um, every single day of the week, there's at least one woman in the shop. And I say at least, it's not a token anymore. And I think, you know, there are a lot of times where a bike shop will say like, well, we do have one lady working here. It's like, well, that's great. Like, congratulations. But maybe, maybe, maybe more, like, and maybe a mechanic. Um, uh, so it's, it's really awesome. Actually, one of the women on Team Laser Cats, uh, her name is Michaela. Uh, she was one of the 16 women selected for the UBI scholarship um, that, um, what's it called? QBP sent 16 women out to the United Bicycle Institute to do the full mechanic certification. So Michaela was chosen for that. She went out there, 
is a fully certified mechanic, came back to Philly and now has a job at bike therapy where she's working part sales and part wrenching. Um, and so it's awesome because, you know, here you have these, you know, women who can go in and feel totally comfortable and confident that, you know, and it's, and, and it doesn't put the burden on the one woman working at the bike shop to deal with the maybe more than 50% of customers coming in who happen to be women. And I think that's something like I spent a very brief amount of time working at a bike shop, very brief, like three weeks. It was between jobs. I did it for a little bit, but even then, like I knew how much it meant for the women who were coming in to be able to talk through this with another woman. It's simple as that. And for it not to end up being a burden for like, if you've got one woman working in the shop to do every single one, like, no, it's just like, it, it normalizes it and naturalizes it. So it's great to see. And I think, um, so one other thing I wanted to go back to that I just thought of about this, like in the, the development program, the women by PHL Devo, um, is that it's this, so on the one hand, it's this like freedom to push yourself really hard. And on the other hand, there is, this was something that one of the women who did Devo this year said that I just loved. And uh, she said, you know, it's also really cool to be somewhere where I can fail. And she felt like she was totally on top of her game professionally. She's killing it. And you know, she's done a lot of things like she's done some half marathons, like anything she set her mind to, she could do. And she felt like, you know, she's like acing it in a lot of categories. She came into this having mostly been a bike share commuter. And so racing bikes, like she wasn't even doing a lot of distance riding. And when she was, it was on a bike share bike. So more power to her. We put her on a road bike. It's a lot lighter. Um, so that's cool. But she said, you know, she came into this group of women and there are a lot of women here who had a lot more time on the bike um, and who had a lot more athletic experience in one way or another. She was brand new to riding a road bike. And yet, you know, she could take this experience and embrace it and see the strengths of all these women around her and say, like, you know what? This is really hard. And sometimes I think, you know, again, it pushes this thing is like women who are really good and have worked really hard to be where they are and they, you know, push themselves in all of these professional aspects or life aspects or whatever, and they're nailing it all across the board. Like, it's awesome. But I think a lot of times there isn't that space to be like, you know what, I can try something and it's going to be really hard and I might fail. And it's okay if I fail. Because like, whatever, like, this is a space where that's safe, too. And I think, you know, it's like, what's at stake? Like, well, in a in a sense, nothing. Like, nothing's at stake in a bike race. Like, if it's you're just doing it for fun and for a hobby. But it's this environment where you can push yourself super, super hard. And if you you fail, like, that's okay. And, you know, the consequences aren't losing your job or doing, you know, having like some major life change going on. And you know that failing at this one thing is actually like all part of making you stronger, literally physically stronger, uh, mentally stronger. And, and I think like, that's a, that's a really interesting way of looking at it too. Is like, it's somewhere where you can really do something where you can sort of take a lot of the consequences out of the equation. Um, 
which I think is, is pretty a pretty cool way of looking at it. Because I totally had not seen it that way. And I think a lot of times, you know, you go into it and like I went into my own when I was starting to race. I'm like, I wanted to be really good at it. I'm like, what if I'm not? Like, is that, that's embarrassing. It's like, no, it's, you know, you're out there letting it out. And if you're way off the back of the group, like whatever, you're still out there doing it. You're pushing yourself super, super hard. And if you're the last one to finish, like whatever, you still did it. And I think that's, you know, that's something that we tried to bake into the mentality of the program is that like, you know, really try, like really, like try really hard and see what that feels like. And, and then like, when you think you can't try harder anymore, like try for 30 extra seconds, like just give it like that extra little bit. And then if you, and then if you're done, you're done, but, but like give it that try first. Cause I think a lot of times we hold ourselves back, um, unnecessarily. Yeah. I think, um, that we can be really afraid of our own power yep. and afraid of, I mean, and, and certainly not try things because we might fail at them. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, it's, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. An interesting way to look at it. Yeah. And I think, so with our Devo group this year, we had everything from a college first year college student um, to women in their late thirties. So that was the age range for that group. Um, which was interesting too, to see, like, I mean, the first year in college, like she's 19. Um, and a lot of the women in the group didn't really realize it until there was a point where she's like, I baked cookies in my dorm last night. And then I think a few of the women were like, Oh my God, you can't even drink yet. Like <laughs> You're so young. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, but it's this interesting range of ways that you can bring bring women from really different backgrounds together and find this sort of common purpose for, for trying something and, and working together and seeing how that goes. I love that. Yeah. So for someone, for a listener who's not familiar with cycling as a, as a sport, as a racing type of a sport, like explain why and how cycling is both an individual sport and a team sport. Hmm. Good question. Uh, so there are, uh, I think it, it, it varies a little by the, the different disciplines. So I'm going to talk first about, uh, road racing, which is funny because my, my own background involved very little road racing still involves very little road racing, even though I'm the head coach for a road racing development program. Um, Road racing is, in many cases, much more of a team sport um, than either mountain biking or cyclocross. Um, there are some team elements to those other things, but the team tactics don't really play out in the same way, except at certain really high levels. Um, in road racing, though, um, you do work together as a team. Uh, so we work to develop the the different strengths of riders in that. So you, depending on the course or the event, so there within road racing, there are road races, which are longer distance, usually have some hills in them, some elevation. Um, so within that, you have people who are good at climbing. Uh, you might have people who are really good at sprinting. Um, and you might have people who are really your workhorses. So, 
Um, so one of the things that's beautiful about that is that you can find different roles for different body types. Um, and so you'll have, you know, super tiny ladies are typically going to end up being good climbers because quite frankly, they have less weight to bring up the hill with them. Um, and so we find ways to, you know, teach the group of riders working together. So a lot of the working together is that you're using, uh, riders to block wind for each other. So if you're riding in a pack, you have women who are at the front and they're, they're blocking the wind and the women behind them are, are drafting off of them. So they're slotting into where the, the wind is more blocked, which saves you a tremendous amount of energy. It saves, it's like 70% of the effort. Um, if you're behind somebody that you would have to exert at the front. So that's the, one of the first things we teach in our Devo camp is how to draft, how to ride in a pace line, how to ride in a pack. Um, and one of the events we have them do uh, the first weekend they race is a team time trial. So in this, they're teams of four and they go out together as a team. They work together and it's the fastest across the line that wins. So they're not racing actively in a pack with other teams at the same time. Um, it's more of a, a sort of a you start one by one in, in, or group by group in, um, minute intervals. And you're trying to set the best time on the course and really teaches working together in that pace line. Um, and so within that you have, um, so you have your climbers, you have people who are, you're oftentimes your bigger riders who are your really powerful riders end up being the ones who will pull the, pull the pack around, um, who will block the wind and protect those, uh, either the climbers for the climb or protect sprinters for the finish. And so you have some riders who are really have like explosive fast twitch power and those sprinters will save all of their matches and just try to survive the climbs. And they'll be the ones who will, explode at the finish line to go for the win for the team. And that's something too, that we try to emphasize where it's, this is different from um, individual sports, like running, for example, where you're really, you're working together. And if one of your teammates is on the podium, that's a win for the whole team. Like she's getting some more photo glory, but like if you work to get her there, the whole team wins. Um, and so that can be something that like, there's a, oftentimes the, they're called domestiques are the, the riders that work for the other people in the pack, um, for their protected riders, for their sprinters, for their winners. Um, those domestiques often don't get celebrated as much as they should because those ladies are doing all the work. Um, but it's really cool. You know, we watched, we talked about, uh, this week, just last weekend, there was uh, one of the races on the women's uh, world tour, the pro women's world tour. The winner of that race is five foot nine and 165 pounds. And that is not like the stereotype that you think of when you think of like a little, a, you know, a svelte tiny little cyclist. Like she's a big woman. Uh, her name's Kirsten Vild. She's this Dutch sprinter and like all power. And so watching that versus then watching a woman who's like, five feet tall and maybe like 95 pounds um win a climbing stage or something like that so it's it's finding the ways that you know you have different strengths that are being used for different purposes um so that's something we try to translate down to these beginner racers um so a lot of it is those team tactics and seeing like within a within a road race or within a criterium uh criteriums are super fun to watch so i highly encourage they happen often in downtown locations sometimes in suburban office parking lots 
but it's a bunch of laps around a square basically, or sometimes an L shape, um, flat course, whole bunch of laps, lots of corners. They can involve lots of crashes, which are a little dramatic. Um, but that is a, a type of race that really favors sprinters and, um, powerful riders who are you know, more aggressive at cornering and things like that. And so in that, you'll see teams where they'll work together, either, either in a road race or a criterium, where you'll have some women who are making attacks and trying to split up the pack and trying to shoot a rider off the front. And then when the pack reels her in, they'll shoot off another rider. And so you'll see these teams working together and you can hear, like, it's really cool to go to a race and you can hear the women communicating with each other. They're calling out like, oh, so-and-so is attacking and they'll cover that attack and you know, really work together and, and work to set each other up for that win. Um, so, so it's really cool to watch that play out. And I think that's something that you have to have teams to make it fun. Um, or you have to, if you're going into it, you have to align yourself with a team if you don't have one. Um, and so that's, that's the way that plays out for cyclocross and mountain biking. Um, those are both disciplines where, having a team makes it more fun, but there aren't really team tactics involved in it. Um, so, which means that in some ways they end up being more accessible for people who are just getting into it, um, who come in without a team. And so in mountain biking, especially, you know, you're racing against the course as well as against your competitors. So you have to be prepared for whatever a course throws at you, um, technical obstacles and, and things like that. And in cyclocross, so cyclocross, just really quick sketch, is a fall and winter sport. It is by far the silliest and most fun uh, thing that you can do with a bike. It is really, really hard if you're trying to win and be really good at cyclocross. Um, it's basically an all-out effort for 45 minutes on the grass, in the mud. You have to get off your bike and run over barriers. Like sometimes you have to run up a hill with your bike on your shoulder. Um and you're basically just sort of pinning it the entire time and trying to go as fast as you can. Um, and so that ends up like usually there aren't really team tactics because the drafting is kind of the most important part. But there can be and you can go through and, you know, in a race like maybe you're setting the pace for each other. And so if you have two teammates who are in a race together, um, you might have, you know, one is sitting at the front, setting the pace, and then they'll take a turn and the other one will set the pace. And so, or you just are talking each other through it sometimes because you're both hurting, like you're, you can't believe it. You're so out of breath, everything in your body hurts. Um, and if you have a buddy there, it's like, no, come on, like, let's stay ahead of her. Let's go catch that girl up ahead of us. Like, what can we do to keep each other motivated while it's going on? So, um, in all of these, I think the big thing is, um, you know, especially, you know, mountain bike races, cyclocross races will often be uh, a really supportive sort of family feel to the races. So you go and it's like, especially like with cyclocross season, I always feel like every weekend is a little family reunion. And I miss my cyclocross friends during the rest of the year when, when I don't see them every weekend, but from, you know, September through December, there are people I see like every weekend we're hanging out in, you know, whatever park the race happens to be in. And it tends to be a pretty welcoming environment. Um, 
that said, it's way more fun if you go in with some friends and you make a team out of it. You don't even have to be an official team, but if you go and do it with some friends, like you're hanging out and around both cyclocross and mountain biking, there tends to be a fair amount of beer drinking or snack having or, um, you know, things like that that are happening, like turning it into a party. Um, because you know, you're, if you're dedicating a fair amount of your, your life and your weekend time to this, like might as well be fun again, like put stripes and donuts and cats on your kids, (laughs) have fun with it. Like this is not, you know, I think especially like at the amateur level, like this isn't our day job. And so like find ways to make it a good time. So what a great segue to talk about snacks. Um, (laughs) Your favorite on the bike uh, post ride. And tell me about that for both like casual, I'm just enjoying my life and like food as fuel. Awesome. So, um, another, so this is going to be like, I'm going to set this up a little bit because a lot, a big part of my own cycling history and resume is doing when I lived in the Midwest, especially, um, gravel endurance races. So doing these like super long distance, um, like dirty Kansas gravel worlds, like these super long distance all day on the bike, 150, 200 miles all day on the bike, self-supported stuff. So snacks are absolutely important for this um, because it's a lot of miles. Um, you're burning through a bajillion calories and you also have to figure out ways to eat that you're not going to like just be sick of. So that has really informed my own snacking on the bike um, because I think you know a lot of times like, oh, if you're just doing a little bit, like maybe you'll eat one of those like goo gel pack things but you can't do that all day long like for one it's just it's going to make your poop horrible it's just it's not a good idea and you're not going to eat enough like there you can't possibly eat enough little goo pack things to sustain you for a like a 20 hour period of time so that's one like I do love like gummy candy things um but I also eat a lot of things that are like real food. So one of my favorite snacks is boiled potatoes. Um, So I just take like little baby potatoes, fingerling potatoes, new potatoes, whatever, boil them, throw them in a Ziploc bag with salt and maybe Parmesan cheese, but usually just a lot of salt. Um, So I'll eat those. Uh, I have pulled an entire yam out of my jersey pocket and eaten a yam on the side of the road and people laughed at me until I was halfway through the yam and they started asking me for some so that's probably the weirdest thing I've pulled out of my jersey pocket is an entire like large yam um I also really like uh the I've been really impressed with a lot of stuff out of the scratch labs cookbook um so I make the rice bars um, this is another thing that like somebody else introduced to me when I was dying on a ride and like so hungry and couldn't eat any more junk food. And he pulled out these rice bars that were, so it's like sushi rice made with um, some sugar and salt um, and lemon juice in it. And then it was filled with raspberries and mint leaves. And it was like, eating heaven. Uh, it was so amazing. I like, I was the middle of the night and I was so hungry and I was doing like an overnight hundred mile ride, which is crazy. But anyway, he pulls this thing out of his bag and I'm just like, Oh my God, who are you? Like, this is so amazing. Like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. 
Um, so I've been, I make those um, quite a bit. And there's something really nice about like it has the, the mint leaves, which make it feel cool, even if it's hot out. Um, and it's easy to digest. Um, so that's a, a lot of that. Um, I'll also, I really like, uh, so I, uh, my boyfriend is Dutch. Uh, so we have stroke waffles in our yeah, house a lot. Those are awesome. Those <laughs> yeah. Are awesome. Uh, and recently, um, we did for team laser cats. Um, we got a box of the rip Van waffles brand of stroke waffles got sent to us to like pass out on a group ride. Um, and they're amazing. Like they have one flavor that's like coconut flavored stroke waffles and they're just, they're so good. Um, so I like those a lot. Um, I'm also like have a weakness for goldfish crackers, um, which makes zero sense in terms of being good fuel, but tastes delicious. Um, and, and I think like, again, sort of born out of that, that gravel endurance thing where a lot of your food, um, you're getting from gas station convenience stores, um, like there is a point where I will eat like an absurd amount of really salty, weird potato chip flavors and stuff like that. Like that's stuff that I would never eat um, regularly, but like there's a point where like, yeah, dill pickle chips, um, which actually pickles are another thing. Um, this is funny. I actually ended up, uh, I think there's a picture of me in bicycling mag last month, like eating a pickle. Um that got taken because they were doing something about like, is pickle juice really a good thing to drink if you have cramps? Um, and the answer is yes, it is. Um, I love pickles and that my, uh, my mom during the gravel worlds race, which takes place in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, the start finish line has been at my parents' house a couple years. They have a farm outside of Lincoln and, uh, a couple other years, it's been an oasis along the route. And so it's like this little checkpoint stop and my mom makes pickles. Um, like she has a big vegetable garden. She makes pickles. And so it's gotten like she'll make every year for Gravel Worlds this like huge, excuse me, she'll make these huge jars of pickles. And so people will stop and it's always in August, it's hot and it's humid and people will stop and eat pickles. And so bicycling interviewed my mom about her pickles, which is yes. adorable. Um, we'll link that up in the show notes. Oh, so good. That's good. And it's like my adorable ne Nebraskan farm mother making pickles for bicyclists and talking about how they, you know, well, somebody told me it just saved their ride. <laughs> it's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> um, awesome. So, yeah. Um, and post-ride stuff. Um, I... Also, like peanut butter and chocolate are big things in my post ride. I have like I I sort of didn't get into this for a while, um, but then started doing like a recovery drink. Um, so right now I'm using like a um, Vega, so it's like plant based protein shake. Um, I am like a vegetarian. Um, I eat occasionally will eat fish, but I'm primarily a vegetarian. Um, and so I'm not vegan, but I have a vegan drink mix that I like um, that doesn't do weird things to my stomach. Uh, so I think that's a lot of like there are a lot of changes that when I sort of got into the, the competitive side of this or like putting my body to the test a little bit more that I realized, like have to think a little bit more about, you know, what I'm eating, when I'm eating it, um, what I'm putting into my body, like how I feel afterwards. Um, 
And I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'll come home from a day of like, I'll have done like a long mountain bike race or a cross race and I'll come home and eat half a pizza. Um, no shame. And like, whatever. So it is. Um, and I, I, you know, I realized like, I'm not at the elite, like super elite level, like not at the pro level of racing. Like I don't have to be in that zone. Um, but like, there are times where it's just like, I totally earned that giant snack. Um, <laughs> I also just eat like whole avocados a lot. Uh, really a fan of that. Um, and I eat a lot of cheese. Just funny because I was a vegan for like four or five years, but it was a long time ago. Not anymore. We've spent a lot of time talking about racing and that's awesome because it's not, it's something that I watch like, and I watch and follow a lot of like the men's pro racing, but, um, and I'm just starting to follow women's racing on mostly on Instagram, honestly. Um, so how did how did you like even get into this? Like, tell me about, um, I usually ask people about their first bike and what that experience was like for them. So to kind of sort of like quickly walk me through that transition for you. Cool. Um, and before I forget, I will say that one of the other things that you should do if you don't already is on Wednesdays, I am in charge of the Team Laser Cats Instagram. So our team shares responsibility of the team Instagram. Wednesdays are hashtag Wednesdays with Grindcore. My nickname since college has been Elizabeth Grindcore. I used to host like a punk and metal radio show in college and Rhinecourt, my last name sounds kind of like Grindcore. Of so. course. My friend Molly um, nicknamed me Grindcore. And uh, so on Wednesdays on the Team Laser Cats team Instagram, I do, I've started doing this feature called Get to Know Your Pros, where every week I feature a pro female bike racer. Sweet. And uh, I also am a wordsmith and I love puns. And so part of the way I do this is it's got like the meme lettering and turns every pro racer's name into a pun somehow, or like makes a pun wordplay on her name in hopes that you'll remember a few of them. Um, so anyway, get on that. Lots of awesome pro ladies to follow. And it's like, it's really taking off right now. So it's a really good time to start getting into women's racing. Yeah, uh, totally. I'm going to, I want to link up a few of those, um, I want to link up a few of those accounts, obviously, and Wednesdays with Grindcore. But uh, what's the, do you have something that you're, a hashtag you're specifically using for the get to know your pros? Is it yeah, just that? Yeah, it's just hashtag get to know okay. your pros. Cool. Um, so the, okay, so that was a deviation. So back to my bike history. Yes. Yeah. Actually, also on today's hashtag Wednesdays with Grindcore, um, it's National Ride Your Bike to School Day. And so I found an old picture of myself sometime in the late 80s riding a bike. Um, I don't know if I was going to school or not, but uh, I don't actually remember the bike in that picture. Um, I had a bike from a garage sale that had a banana seat and it was like this bronze colored bike with ape handles and banana seat. So that was the first bike I remember having. Um, and I just rode around as a kid. Like I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska as a kid, lived in a pretty low income, very, very diverse 
racially diverse neighborhood, a lot of immigrant families. Actually, in some senses, I'm from an immigrant family. My dad's a German immigrant. Um, and kids roamed free in this neighborhood on bikes. Um, and so it was a big thing to have a bike. That bike was terrible to try to ride around and keep up with people on. So I started in elementary school. I would get um, 10 cents every night that I did the dishes, um, which was every night I had to do the dishes. So this was just like dad logic. Um, but he had a notebook and he kept track and I had a bike that I'd picked out that I wanted. And it was the Huffy um, White River and it was at Target. Um, I had gone and I had looked at it. It was this like acid wash sort of mountain bike that had pink cable housing. And that was written at the top of this like lined notebook. And then, you know, my dad would write down the date every night and check off that I had done the dishes. It was again, impossible thought that I would ever actually earn enough money for this, but I had to do this for, I think like seven or eight months at least. And then there was like a bonus given in and then I had like birthday money given in and eventually I had this bike. And so that opened up like playing cops and robbers in the neighborhood, like riding all over the neighborhood. So that was cool. And then when I was 14, we moved from being in the city out to this farm that used to be my grandparents' farm. And so now uh, that like this idea of riding bike places was basically gone. Um, that was, it was long before that became a thing like that riding on country roads was the thing that I would think about doing. Um, you know, despite the fact that my mom do that, did that growing up as a kid. Um, uh, but that was far from my mind. And now like the car and that sort of freedom was on the horizon. All my friends lived in the city. So a bike wasn't going to get me there for, you know, a million years, even though it was like 12 miles away. Um, now that's not a big deal to me at all, but then like, no way. Um, so, so yeah, I kind of like, I had, when I was in high school, like I would go, I had a bike rack on my car and I had this like really, really heavy old road bike that I would sometimes bring into town with me so that I could like park somewhere and get somewhere quickly. It was, it all like really didn't work very well. Moved to Providence, uh, Rhode Island to go to college bought a bike while I was there, but Providence is really hilly, or at least like I lived in the neighborhood with on top of a giant hill. Um, and which I coming from Nebraska was like, that's a mountain. I don't do that. I can barely walk up this thing. Um, and so I had a bike, but I didn't really use it all that much. Um, it was also just easier to walk and I hadn't really been in a place where I walked much. So I didn't really ride a bike in college. Um, moved back to Nebraska after college and was then in a, um, a one car household. So my partner and I just had one car between us and, uh, he worked a lot further away than I did. And so I got a bike and I started riding my bike to work. Um, so that was in 2005, 2006. Um, and I just had like a cruiser, uh, like a Schwinn Hollywood that I would, or a Schwinn Spitfire that I would ride around town. And then um, I kind of wanted something that maybe could do a little more than that. And some of my college friends had started getting into bikes and sent me like one of them, like sent me this link was like, you should get this. And so I got this vintage Italian racing bike that really didn't fit me and was like kind of a dumb idea. It was like the bikes that didn't get made for very long. They were like bonded aluminum, late eighties race bike. 
it's really stupid. Uh, it's beautiful, but it was like, if I had gained weight, like the bike would have probably broken. Um, because they were just like really poorly made. There's a reason they only got made for a few years. Like you don't glue aluminum tubes together. Um, and think that it can withstand it. But anyway, I got super into the like riding more. I would just like add miles onto my commute. And then suddenly like I had another friend who's like, Hey, you know, there's this like 40 mile ride. Like maybe we should do that. And so we started doing that, like started doing, um, you know, a few of those like weekend ride, like sagged support like, rides. And then, uh, in 2009, I did the bike ride across Nebraska, Bram, um, which is like a seven day ride from the West end of the state to the East end. You camp in like high school, um, football fields and city parks and stuff along the way. Uh, lots of food that tends to be the theme for brand. It's, t it's actually like, it's mostly people who are in their like fifties. Um, and then like there was this, you know, rowdy group of 20 something, 30 somethings that went that year, some friends of mine and I, and so, so I did that. And then it was around that time too, that I did the, like my first alley cat. And so I had also gotten a fixed gear bike at that point. And then I had this like Italian road bike thing. And then it was that fall that I got dared into the cross race. Um, and my only two options for doing the cyclocross race. So cyclocross is done on a bike that looks kind of like a road bike, tends to have uh, a little bit beefier tires with a little bit of a tread pattern on them because you're on mostly on grass um, or mud. Um, but my only two options, like the two bikes that I had were this fixed gear and then this like, really like brittle Italian road bike. And so like technically if the road bike had been a better road bike, that would have been the smarter choice to do this first cross race on because doing it on a fixed gear was just really dumb. But like this bike frame like might've actually broken um, on the road bike. And so that was like, okay, so I'll do it on this fixed gear. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of then when that, that transition into racing happened. So I had been this sort of like, it was just this sort of like steady progression of, um, I'm commuting and my commute was like two or three miles. And like the first few years that I commuted, like I wouldn't necessarily commute every day. Um, and, but then like, I kind of got into this idea of this challenge, like maybe I'll hold this record. Like what if I commute all winter long? Like, what if I don't miss a day? And I'm very, very susceptible to dares. Um, this is also another thing about me, um, why I did that first cyclocross race. Many other things about my experience with bikes have been like, I bet you, you can't do that. Or like, what if you tried doing that? And I'm super susceptible to that. I'm super susceptible to like trying to keep a record, a clean record, like, I mean, in a totally different part of my life, like I have a perfect voting record. Like I have voted in every single election since I turned 18 and like even timed my move to Philadelphia so that I would like be able to vote. Um, like that's how dedicated I am to my voting record. Um, so now like I've been at my current job in Philly for like 18 months, a little more than that, um, going on two years and I've commuted every single day by bike. So 
that's just this thing. And it's like, anytime I'm like, Oh, I don't know. This is really horrible. Like it's really horrible out. Like the weather sucks right now. I'm like, but I have a perfect record. Um, so, so, but you know, it, it just started as this thing where it went from like, I'm going to do this every day to like, maybe I'm going to add on 10 miles. Um, and then when I got into the endurance thing too, it was like, yeah, I bet I could ride a hundred miles or I bet I could ride 150 miles. Or like maybe I can do 200. And, you know, in a lot of cases it's, so it's that blend between for me personally, like there's that personal challenge for sure. Um, but that competitive thing was really like, it was it definitely like what I was talking about earlier in seeing this in other women, like it's very reflected in my own experiences. Like I had, I needed some outlets for this competitive edge. And it's really funny. Like my dad, who is an academic, like he's a you know semi-retired college professor, was the one who was like, you know, maybe you should stop this volleyball thing. Like it doesn't really make sense. Like you keep spraining your ankles or wrists and like it takes a lot of time. Like when maybe you should just join the debate team. And, you know, I was really academically competitive. I was driven. Like I went, you know, I went to an Ivy League college and I'd been on this high school track where I was like super driven, like, like means so much. And then I got out of college and it's like, well, what do I do with like all of this energy to be competitive? And my dad, when I started getting into like, especially racing bikes, he's like, you're such a jock now. And like, he like doesn't, it's like for a bit, like, he's like, I don't get it. Like, how'd you turn into a jock? Like, we didn't raise you to be a jock. And, you know, it's like, he has this like real affront to it. And, you know, for one, I'm like, dad, you're German. Like I picked like one of the most European sports possible. Like I wear like spandex, (laughs) like (laughs) this is really pretty far, like like tight spandex, like pretty far from most traditional American conceptions of jock. Um, but, you know, and now he's come around to it. He's like, because I pushed back. I'm like, come on, dad. Like, you set me up for this. Like, you wanted me to be really good at stuff. Like, you wanted me to be really good in school and really good at this and that and the other thing. Like, So I needed sort of like healthy avenues to get rid of all this energy. And as a funny aside to that, um, my brother races cars. Uh, so he's like races rally cross and autocross. And so like he both, like my dad ended up with these two kids who like, despite all of his intentions to turn us into like scholars and stuff like that. Like we both, you know, are working professionals and have you know, advanced degrees and what have you, but like we both needed this like outlet to sort of race or exercise like some sort of competitive energy, I guess. What do you, what do you wish more women knew about bike racing? Mm. Wow. So I, wish that well god i could go a million different directions with this um i wish that more women had some way of knowing that whatever and some of this is me just trying to figure out like what are the barriers to entry because there's a lot of talk about that so i think some of them are real and i think some of them are manufactured that don't really exist. Um, And I think a lot of that comes from us trying to, that essentially women's racing for, in many ways has been 
shoved into an already existing structure that's mostly built about around men's racing that the advent of a lot of women trying this is pretty new um and so i'm going to turn this in that i wish more women knew that if they showed up uh especially with other women that they really have a whole lot of power right now to shape the future of what competitive cycling looks like for women, particularly in the United States. I think it's a totally different ball game, bike game uh, in Europe, um, in places where it's more established on both fronts. Um, I think in the US, it's still a niche sport all around. And there's real room, especially because Title IX exists in this country, especially because there are ways that the idea of, you know, the, the U.S. is at the forefront of the equal pay discussion in cycling. So there are U.S. races. It's still not anywhere close to all of them, but it's in the U.S. and especially in cyclocross, also in mountain biking, there are a lot of races that are that have equal payouts for men and women. In Europe, it's absolutely not the case. Like the women maybe get like in some cases 10% of the payout of the men. Um, so it's like, it's this tough thing where like I want to, uh, you know, I feel like almost like I'm, I'm, I'm doing this deceptive thing, like bringing women into the sport and being like, oh, it's super awesome. And then they're like, wow, we get treated like crap. Like we're an afterthought. Those guys are one, they're getting the payout. Two, they get a better schedule. Three, there are tons of options for them. Like the progression up the scale is so much better. Like there are more, like more of them do it. So the, the races are more fun because there are more people to compete against. Blah, 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 blah. So I feel like, oh crap, you know, I bring women into this. And some of the women this year who are, you know, new racers are like, wow, is it always like this? Like this kind of sucks. Like, this isn't really treating us that well. So there's this part where it's like, okay, yeah, I don't want that at all. And there's this other part where it's like, you know what? We have this opportunity to build something. And I think it's through participation and action. And I think that's one of the things that I see as being, you know, really impressive is that there are women, especially, you know, I see this in the women that we picked for this Devo team this year. There are women who are not content to sit and say, like, I well, that sucks. Like, they're not whining. They're offering constructive solutions. Be like, I paid the same registration fee as those guys. So why are my results wrong? Or why is my schedule worse? So I think there's a real opportunity there um, to define it. So there's that. And that's like a whole nest of stuff because there's a lot of stuff in there that's like really really negative there are a lot of pro women right now who are working really hard to change things um and i think it's you know it's a broader discussion in in the united states as a whole right now like talking about equal pay talking about you know gender equity in a lot of capacities is you know this is another place where that is at the forefront um, but I think it, this goes back to kind of where I started, which is, I think it's an amazing space and an amazing opportunity for women to push their own limits 
um, to feel this incredible freedom, um, to feel this incredible power and strength uh, and develop that and push themselves further and harder and do things that they didn't think were possible um, and seeing that progression and seeing, I think, you know, it's, it's amazing. I have one teammate who she and I will often go on this pretty hard Thursday morning race pace training ride. It's run by, you know, uh, this group of guys and there are some women who've started going on it actually like kind of a little bit last year, but really this year is the first year that there are many women going on this ride. It's hard. It's a 30-mile ride before work with a bunch of hills in it. And some of these hills are nasty, especially when you're going fast. And a couple times, like she and I have gone on this ride, and we're going up these hills, and we're just totally pushing each other so much harder than if either of us had gone alone. And if it was just one lady on that ride and, you know, and I have been that just one lady. And there's a point where I'm like, well, I can't keep up with those guys. So I'm just going to pedal. And I mean, I'm going hard and I'm the only lady here. So at least I'm that. Like, I'll go. I'll keep going fast. Like, look at me. I'm so tough. I showed up. But it's so much better that I have my friend Taryn there, my teammate Taryn there. And that she and I can go up that hill and we're both gutted, like riding so, so hard. And it feels so good to get to the top of the hill, to get to the end of the ride, to open up like Strava and see, like I did that hill faster than I had ever done it. And I know it's because she was pushing me to be faster, to be better. And there's nothing in that that's like, you know, there's, yes that's competitive we're not racing at that point so there's part of it that's competitive and there's part of it that's this sort of like this idea of mutual competition so you're mutually elevating each other and that's so so cool and I think the friendships that you can build around that it's amazing I mean I moved to Philadelphia two years ago I'm in my 30s I felt like I had a whole bunch of friends within a week because they all, like, I went on some bike rides with a bunch of ladies, and, like, suddenly I've got all these friends. I have no idea how I would have possibly done that and, like, felt okay making a group of friends if I didn't have this as, like, this vessel to do it. Um, but, you know, you go somewhere and you show up, and I think, like, there's something, like, kind of cool and weird about, like, you're out on a ride and you see somebody in a team kit, and you're like, yeah, like, that's she's part of something like I'm part of, they might not recognize like when I moved here, I had all these team kits from different teams that weren't things that anybody here knew about, but like, I was still sort of part of this weird tribe. And, you know, it was like, I could show up to a group ride with a bunch of ladies that I didn't know. And they could look at me and say like, yeah, she'll be all right. She'll fit in here. Like, that's fine. Like, let's talk, let's be friends. And it's so it's this way that it, I think it can open up friendships that like, I, I don't know, like, I, I really don't know. Like how, how do you like, we need like go to bars or something like that sounds horrible to me. Like, it just sounds like inconceivable. I can't imagine how it's, you would make friends. It's hard. It's like, um, I moved from New Jersey. Like, so I'm actually like, ah, yeah, I, uh, 
I'm a big uh, Phillies and Eagles fan. More nice. Eagles than Phillies, but yeah. That's why I was looking around before. I'm like, where's my Phillies hat? It's, it was uh, over here for a while. I, wanted to awesome. I live in South Philly, so I'm like right. really close to the stadiums. <laughs> oh, wow. I should go and do crit practice in the stadium parking lots. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. My condolences for, <laughs> for, for that location. Often there are any people there. <laughs> I love hearing uh, how the, the city of sisterly love is treating you well, <laughs> especially with the bike. I love that you've been there for two years and you've like helped to build all of this amazing stuff there. Um, really cool. Wish I had access and I, I wish that more girls had access to see the diverse menu of options that are available um because yeah you can be you can be anything you want right like it's kind of this this thing that we get told to us and usually it's in an academic sense um but when you're playing like sports in high school or sports in college it's you know these are certain types of people who do these things and I don't think that that's necessarily true. And I wish that, um, I wish that when I was a, a kid, I had more access to the bike and, and you can see that like, yeah, you also don't need to be like this tiny little skinny climber in order to yeah. be valuable in a team setting either. Um, right. That's and that's a big thing. Like, I think that was the thing that was, that was cool for me to find out. It's like, I'm five foot 10, like I'm not a little climber. And it's funny because my, the, the co-director of the women bike PHL Devo, Michelle is like maybe five, two, five, three. She's super little. I think she's super little. I'm super huge, whatever, but we can, we can balance that out and we can balance that out for the women that come into it. And I can be like, listen, I'm not a natural climber, but damn it. If they don't want to sit on my wheel when we're going into a headwind. And so like, there's that thing where, you know, that's, it's so cool to be able to feel that. Like, I know when I feel strong. I also know when I don't. And I know where, you know, what I can push through and be like, yep, I'm just going to survive this. And like, through doing that and through pushing yourself, you do get better at it. And like, you do find that maybe you're not that bad at climbing. Um, And, you know, I mean, she might still be faster, but you know, you get better at it as you go. And I think like that, that's something that's really, you know, it can feel really empowering to be like, to access that point where like, this is where I feel really strong. And, and that's amazing. Like, I don't know, like how often, how often in life do you get to do that? Do you get to just go out and say like for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to give it all I've got physically, mentally, emotionally, I'm going to see what my body can do. And you know, and, and see what I can do for my teammates. Like I'm going to bury myself for her. Like that's a, such a cool feeling to like help somebody out to a sprint. Cause again, I'm like, I'm not a good sprinter. Um, but if I can tow my teammate up to the finish line and set her up for a sprint and be like, I gave everything I had to get her 500 meters from the finish line. And then I'm spent and then she goes like, that's so cool. Like, it's a great feeling. Um, and you don't like there, you just don't have that many opportunities in life where you have essentially the privilege of doing that. I think, you know, the privilege of just doing this thing where it's, you know, about pushing super hard and, and, you know, and just 
trying, maybe succeeding, maybe failing, who knows, but like you come out of the other end of it, feel pretty damn good. Um, even when it's a tough day on the bike, like it's great. So empty the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, uh, that's, there's nothing quite like that. Um, so, so, um, I'm going to have two more questions for you because they're fun. Awesome. If you could go for a ride with anyone, anywhere in the world, anyone living or dead, anywhere, whatever, who would you go for a bike ride with? Oh Where? my God, this is the hardest question. Um, okay. So, ah, uh, okay. I could think about this forever and come up with a million different options. Nope. Nope. Right now. Yeah. The person I would most want to go on a bike ride with uh, is Lizzie Armistead. She's the current world champion, uh, road race champion. And she is a, so she's a British cyclist. She is self-coached. I just have recently learned this. She's self-coached. Wow. She's a vegetarian. It's awesome uh, for what it's worth. But yeah, she's the world champion. And she's like, you know what? I don't have a coach because I can figure this out for myself. And when I learned that, I'm like, hell yeah, lady. That's, <laughs> like, that's so awesome. Um, so yeah, I would love to go for a bike ride with Lizzie Armistead. She's also been killing it this year. Um, she has won several races. There's often this like curse of the rainbow jersey so the world champion wears a rainbow jersey and they sometimes talk about like oh you get the rainbow jersey and then like you never win a race that year um she has proved that curse to be absolutely false because she's just absolutely killing it so i'd go on a ride with lizzie armstead where would you where would you go where would we go oh man um <sighs> dang um so this is like really, really random, and I don't, I don't know why this came up, but I'll, like several years ago, I um, was in Denali National Park, um, and there's this like in the park, there's this gravel road that goes like winds through the park and goes way out to the Wonder Lake campground, um, and you can't take personal cars on it at all. Like the only way to go out there is in this crazy school bus <laughs> um on these tiny narrow roads and like it takes six hours but i was when i was on this bus and doing this i thought like this would be an, a really beautiful place to take a bike um so i would ride on the gravel road in denali national park with lizzie armistead wow i just totally really want to do this now <laughs> that's so awesome that's so cool uh, all right okay last one um what is your bike's superpower? Mm. Ah, my bike's superpower is that it is stronger than any antidepressant on the planet. They will never come up with an antidepressant that works better than my bike. Right on. I hear that. Um, so May is not just National Bike Month, but I think it's also National Meditation Month. Ooh. And I think these things are related. They are. Yeah. They are. They totally are. Like, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I could get into a long thing about that. Uh, I hear you there. 
Yeah. Um, Elizabeth, this has been so much fun to chat with you. You kick so much ass and I am really appreciative of the work that you're doing to help grow more women racers. I think it's just super fun. And uh, I can't wait to follow Wednesdays with Grindcore. Yes. Yeah. So definitely check out Wednesdays with Grindcore. I'm also sort of the de facto communications person for Team Laser Cats. So um, there's great stuff going on. The Team Laser Cats Instagram is a fun place for rainbow colored kits and women just generally kicking ass on bikes and having a lot of fun. Also ridiculous cat things happen. Um, I do do some writing um, on the Team Laser Cats website as well, some writing and photography. Um, so you can check that out. Uh, I also have this, like, I'm totally going to plug this random thing right now. Do it. But um, for the last six years, I've been doing a documentary series. I have this past life as a documentary filmmaker, maybe not entirely past life, but I do this um, documentary series about my own life called My Week where uh, every week I make a little short film that's sort of like experiential documentary about what I do. So you can totally creep on me uh, and follow what's going on in my life um, by watching my week. And uh, I'll link you to that too. Um, do you yeah. Do, do you do the Snapchat thing at all? I don't. Okay. Um, so I do Instagram. I do Twitter. Uh Twitter off and on tends to be really snarky. My Twitter tends to be really snarky. I'm on the Team Laser Cats Instagram. I also have my own Instagram at egrindcore. Um, and yeah, that's we'll, kind of... We'll link it. We'll link it all up. Um, it all up. As as a side, I think Snapchat is... I haven't been very active on it because I'm like crazy busy right now. I'm planning a wedding. But... Um, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's insane. Um, but I think if you're like into the documentary thing, there's actually, you, you might dig it a little bit. Yeah. I've been hearing and I've been like the, so actually, so we're in Philly, we're really close to the headquarters for bicycling mag. Um, cause they're up in Emmaus. In so Lehigh, they're like, right? away. What's that? Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Lehigh yeah. Valley. Um, and so, so they gave us control of their Snapchat for, um, a ride that we did, um, back in, the, we hosted um, one of the Rafa Braver Than the Elements rides, uh, which was last December. Hilariously, it was like 70 degrees in Philly that day. So it was like <laughs> we made all sorts of jokes about like, oh, we're so brave having a picnic outdoors. <laughs> like, ha <laughs> um, But we did a Snapchat story for that. And that was like I kind of like this is it's been one of those things where I'm like I can't do another social media platform I know, and, it's crazy and I think about it like oh yeah no it makes a lot of sense like I've been seeing people do like short form video and that kind of thing with it and I'm a dinosaur I just need to adapt that's I but I love Instagram so much so yeah, I, I, I think it's a lot of fun and I'm wondering how how do I not even know that bicycling mag has a snapchat I didn't even know that I know right, I okay. Yeah. Got to get on the game. Gonna get link, on that. Going to link that up too, I think. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much. I've had so much fun chatting with you. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Kat. It was great to meet you and talk. And I can't wait to follow everything you're doing. Yes. Get Likewise. all over that. It's Likewise. so awesome. Thank you for inviting me and, um, spreading the word because this is a it's a two-way street we need reporters to like i think that's a, a big thing i'm totally going to do one more tiny little soapbox but do it 
we need like the media coverage of women's racing. If it's at the amateur level, all the way to the pro level, like that's a big part of this is that it, it needs to be, you know, for sponsors to be involved, they've got to see that it's happening. They've got to see that people care about it. Um, and that goes at all levels. And I think, so it's, it's super, super important that, you know, media pay attention, uh, and we make our own media. If the, you know, mainstream presses aren't covering it. Um, it's, it's an awesome, uh, awesome way to, to sort of share these stories and it has to happen. So thank you for inviting me. It's oh been an absolute delight to talk so, to you. So, so welcome. Everyone, Elizabeth Reincourt. Bye. <laughs> Isn't she fantastic, you guys? Um, I could talk to Elizabeth for a while. In fact, I think our chat went on for for a, a little bit um, after that. But yeah, just super excited to have all these conversations with so many amazing women who are building this community. Uh, next week, we're going to talk to Catherine Walton, who is an, a cycle tourist and a photographer. She's uh, got some interesting perspectives on... Um, artistic creation and being on the road and tandem bikes. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, yeah, so that's next week. If you or someone that you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the Joyride, please go to bit.ly forward slash Joyride guest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Joyride guest and drop me a line. I'd love to meet you, know what you're doing, what kind of riding you do, and uh, see if we can arrange a chat. As always, I appreciate your time and your attention. Remember, friends, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep moving forward. And until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. Sweet. No, you're a total rock star.